Welcome to the Best of Fives, the War of the World edition, part of the NewsAz.com 2018 Halloween celebration and an even bigger part of our annual War of the Worlds week. I'm Matt, and joining me in today's episode is probably the one person in the entire world that might be a bigger War of the Worlds fan than me. It's the host of Effectively Speaking and Blake Seven in Character, and my good friend Eric Moore. So thank you for joining me today, Eric. Hello. <laughs> thank you for that build-up. I mean, you know, you've built me up quite a bit there, Matt. Oh, well, I thought everything in there was true. We'll find out. We'll see what your list is, and I'll be like, well, maybe he's not a bigger fan than me. All right. No. I mean, can I just... Uh, can I just say before we start, this is very strange for me because I've never been a guest on a podcast before. Really? Yeah. So th- I- I'm quite enjoying this. Wow. I- I okay. Haven't got the- I haven't got the pressure, and I haven't got a list of questions. So yeah, thanks, Matt. This okay. Is- this- I had to- you this said is that be good fun. You said that, and I had to like quickly uh, run through my memory as fast as I could, which is not as fast as it used to be these days. And think of like, how do have have we not? And you're right. Wow. Okay. We haven't done a best of fives, which seems like that's an easy thing to do. And yeah, I'm always a guest on your show. Okay. Well, yeah, this should be fun. So Yeah, so so lay it on me. Okay, so so War of the Worlds, when we're talking about War of the Worlds, it's one of those things where it's it's a unique subject because it's 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 a story that was written like 120 years ago. And that's not an exaggeration. It was written 120 years ago. And so much has spawned from it. There is the original story, and that's, of course, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about as the listeners, uh, as a listener, we're talking about The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It was written in 1898. The book has influenced so many stories. It's the adaptation done in 1938 by Howard Koch and then directed and performed by Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater on the Air is inspired yet another type of work, but it's still from the same story. And then there's the 1953 George Powell movie. From from all of these things, is, there's comics, there's books, there's stories, there's movies that are of this subject matter. They're not necessarily shot for shot or the same storyline as what H.G. Wells wrote, but the, the premise is the same. So much has come from this one story that I a, a best of fives list on one hand is an easy thing to do or idea wise, but narrowing it down was very tough. And I got the feeling from our our correspondence back and forth, you had the same troubles. I mean, you know, HG Wells, you know, if, if, if you look at him aside or in encompassing war of the worlds and everything he did, I mean, he was a genius. I mean, not only was he a fantastic storyteller, he, he, he predicted so much, you know, so much of HG Wells in his writings, you know, he predicted chemical warfare. He predicted air warfare. And it, 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 it's, it's staggering. When I, when I look and see photos of HG Wells, um, on the set of Things to Come, which was a film in the 30s, which was based on a novel of his, to 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 try and get my head around the fact that he was still alive and around during the time of talky cinema is staggering to me. Yeah, know? right. Yeah, it's so. Um, actually, you know, I know we've had we've done a War of the Worlds episode on effectively speaking. You and I have talked. We we we. We're getting to the point where we're chatting weekly on Facebook about it with this new series and uh, 
that the BBC is putting together. But what for people that just are listening to the War of the Worlds week and tune in for our Halloween stuff, what is your history with War of the Worlds? Well, that's going to come across in my top five. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to give away no, too no. much too soon, but yeah, I, I first encountered um, War of the Worlds when I was about the age of seven or eight. Okay, and it was so important to me; it made such an impact on me that I can actually attribute War of the Worlds to kickstarting my interest in science fiction, in you know uh, horror. Um, um, fantasy writing, or many, many things come back to War of the Worlds. If I don't, I think if I didn't have, have that experience, which will come across in my top five, um, I think an awful lot of my, my interests and hobbies wouldn't have happened. All right. So then that's with your background. And I, I, I'm really looking forward, as, as much as I am to talking about what's on my list, I'm just as looking forward to hearing your list because I think we might have some matches, but I think the stuff that we don't match is going to be very different, but I think mm -hmm. something we can both talk uh, well, I was going to say at length, but we might want to cut ourselves a little short, so it's not too long of an episode, but I think it's something I think everything on both of our lists are something we're both going to be able to talk about very easily. Alright. So, okay. let me give you I'm going to tell you, I always always make caveats to when I make my list. It seems to be getting worse every time. Luckily, this time there's been one caveat that I made that is pretty simple, and that is I did not include the book itself because without the book, there wouldn't be this list to make. So it's safe to say that this book is the list. So I will say I do not have the original book on here, and I want to point that out because I don't want people to listen to this and go say, how can you not have the book on your list if it's about War of the Worlds? That's why, because without the book, there wouldn't be the list. So it's safe to say the book is in every one of my choices in one way or another. I'm exactly the same. Okay. None of my top fives is anything from the book, but without the book, my top fives would never have happened. Exactly. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. So that I, I that if you you got my lengthy explanation, then everyone else should do. So <laughs> I have I have a propensity to uh what's that word? Uh now now that I've threw one big word out, I can't think of the other big word to uh uh <laughs> ramble i can't think of the word i wanted to use to sound waffle. smart so i'll just say waffle there you go let's say that there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right eric you're the guest we're gonna go five to one you tell me if you'd like to go first or if you want me to start off either way i'm happy to start this list you go first matt you okay. go first all right so my number five it's on the surface it's gonna seem like a strange pick until i think i explain it my number five is the tv movie the night that panicked america it was made in 1975, and the reason it's on my list isn't so much that the movie itself is is the uh, what makes it something that I really like War of the Worlds subject-wise, although I think it is very good for a TV movie. It right now is the only thing that is a docudrama of the process of how they recorded the 1938 broadcast. Oddly enough, with the lore the urban legend behind that broadcast, there has not been a movie about what led up to it. The whole right. There's been books. There's, I think there's a, no, 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 like that comic book is something else, but there's been books, there's stories, news reports, but there's been no docudrama of that. The six days of writing the one day of, of recording all the things they did for the sound effects, 
all the things that Orson Welles did in his timing, uh, having done this all in one room, and then the aftermath, exaggerated or not, there's been no movie about it. This is the closest thing to seeing how they actually had done this. And I am a behind-the-scenes junkie, especially when it comes to audio. So since this is the only source of seeing how that broadcast was done and how this piece of radio history was done, that's what makes it my number five on this particular list. I, I, I'm stunned as you. I mean, you know, this is ripe for a, you know, a docudrama, um, you know, but nobody has done it since this one. Why not? I know. I mean, you know yeah. the, the potential's there. And, you know, we've got this year, we've got the BBC, you know, adaptation coming up. So I'm, I'm surprised nobody's ever done it. I'm, I really am. Yeah. Yeah, this is the closest we got. So until something else comes along, I this is the one I look at. Um, and just really, uh, I wish there was more of it. Like, yeah, I just, mm. I just wish there was, there was more of it behind the scenes. It's, uh, I think just about everything's been documented or figured out, but I want to, I would love to see a reenactment of this, of what they did in 1938. But until mm. then mm. I had to settle for 1975. Okay. All right. My number five. All right, let's go. Uh, my number five is visiting Horsall Common. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. The actual horse all common. Um, one of the many, 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 I had as many manys as you want, many, <laughs> many, many uh, appeals of the book to me is that the events took place in my neck of the woods down here in the southeast of England. Okay. So in the book, when it describes, you know, the tripods walking across fields and standing above villages, the countryside is exactly like the ones – I grew up in and that I still live in now. We live in a village just outside of town and, you know, you walk across the fields and there's a there's a church over there and you could easily walk along there, read in the novel, look up, and that's the landscape that H.G. Wells is describing, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, a, I'm assuming anyone listening to this has read the book and understands the fact that um, all the places in the book are real and H.G. Wells famously, he did the narrator's journey. If you read the book, the narrator's journey of um, going from Woking up to London, into Essex, back to London, um, that's a real thing. And when he was researching, I don't know if you know this, Matt, but while he was researching the book, he actually took that journey himself. And he would send postcards back to his friends saying, ha ha, I've just blown up Woking and things like this. Wow. Yeah, it, it is good. I mean, when you read the book, it is like a, a travel journey. He's very specific about where he goes, where he crosses a bridge. And if you want to, you can reach retrace the narrator's story. In fact, I did it once oh, 10 years ago or something like that. I followed the route he takes when he's near uh, the Natural History Museum mm-hmm. in London. The route he takes um, from there up to Primrose Hill, where the Martians camp is at the end of the book. And again, we've just been talking about this on Effectively Speaking. The subject of War of the Worlds never came up when you and your wife came over (laughs) a few years ago. If I had known that, (laughs) do you remember when um, we, on one day, we had a walk up to Regent's Park and we walked up Baker Street and found Sherlock Holmes's, you know, apartment and that, and we walked up to Regent's Park. We worked out when... If you read the book, and that's what we did, we went up early one Sunday morning and we walked up from uh, the Natural History Museum, read the book and used that basically as a map. He 
pretty much went along Baker Street. Just where you walked is where the narrator of the book would have walked. He walked around Regent's Park, just like we did. Oh, wow. <laughs> before then going on to Primrose Hill. And if I had known that you were a War of the Worlds fan like me, we could have taken a day out to have done that ourselves. And I, I really regret that. Matt, if you ever come back to London, we've got yeah. to do that walk. Okay? We're, yeah, we're, we're definitely planning to come back. So I'm going to uh, give you a heads up, plus give my wife the warning and cash in, the, <laughs> cash in that chip that I earned going to the Dr. Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who store that day we're in England. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> this is payback time, yep. definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... Horsell Common, Horsell Common, you know, just outside Woking, it's only like, what, 70 miles away from us. And it's an hour and a half drive along the motorway. And, and uh, we went there when our son, he was very young. Uh, we, we, we had a trip down there. And um, Horsell Common is just outside Woking. And in the book, it's a sand pit, okay? The, the first Martian cylinder lands in the sand pit mm-hmm. there. And if you go there now, it is the strangest place because the sand pit is still there. It's still called Horsell Common. You know, it, 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 it's a public park. You can park in the car park. You can go for walks. It's, it's still obviously a sand pit. It's overgrown now. There are many, many trees there now and everything like this. Um, but the dip is still there there there, there is a a natural dip where the sound sand pit is and it's filled up with water and the day we went there it was a lovely sunny day um and people had just come from the town and it was like you're at the beach because everybody was having picnics and the children were paddling in this pool of water that had formed in the sand pits and it's like I am at the sand pits yeah. <laughs> of Horsell Common, you know. I urge anybody who is in the UK or visits the UK and is anything to do, uh, you know, is knowledgeable about War of the Worlds, likes War of the Worlds, if you can, take your time off, not only to go to Horsell Common, which is a terrific place, um, I'll put up on Neozaz a photo of me at Horsell Common oh, when cool. this episode comes out, okay? Um but also, if you go into the town of Woking, right in the town centre, they've got a tripod there, a Martian tripod. Um, it's not full size. I, I reckon it's about a third scale, maybe half scale. Completely um, shiny, all yeah, chrome. Effect, so it's the I've glittering seen, metal. Yeah. I've seen pictures of it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not as impressive as it could be if it was full size, but right. you know, you've got to give them credits for actually doing it. True. And there's a very abstract uh, crashed cylinder um, in a town square there. Really, really worth a visit. So I was just chuffed to bits to finally go to Woking and then go to Horsell Common and stand exactly in the same spot where this cylinder came down in the book. Mm. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, that. that I I regret just as much not having the World of the Worlds conversation with you before our visit, but we are going back, so at least there's 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 well not at least there's something to certainly look forward to. That sounds really to cool. To be continued, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I plan to do the same thing just because of proximity to do the. I, I'm going to go to Grover's Mill in New Jersey. Mm. I'm heading back back up <laughs> after Fourth of July to Pennsylvania. That's that's where I'm from i'm sure everybody knows and we're gonna go to grover's mill it's not as grover's it's it was a pencil on a map decision and people have pieced together what you know theoretically could have happened and there's little um stands and little markings so i'm gonna go see that but nothing compared to the detail of what hg wells actually walked and wrote about so um that's that's gonna be be like my uh my my opening act to seeing the the real thing when i get back to england 
Yeah, but you say that. But eventually, when I do arrive in America, I want to go to Grover's yeah, Mill right. for that reason. <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. You know, the Grover's Mill from that, the Grover's Mill, of course, from Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was in Buckaroo Banzai, wasn't it? Yes. Grover's Mill. Yep. <laughs> so, definitely, definitely agree with you there, man. Okay. <laughs> cool. So, okay. So, on the number four, and this one is just like absolutely impossible not to be on the list because of the, the nature of this particular piece of media. I'll just say right out. It's a 1953 George Powell's war of the worlds movie. And when it, when it comes to movie, you really only have two choices. Well, I guess technically three now, thanks to Eric, although I don't know if this the third one compares, uh, but we have the 1953 war of the worlds from George Powell, the 2005 war of the worlds from Steven Spielberg, which, I think the first half hour is mention worthy, but after that, not so much. But the 1953 is that's a movie that grabs me from the opening scene to the end of the movie. And I just absolutely love the look of it. The design, the color palette is one of those things that's like I, the first few viewings, I didn't realize I loved it until I started to really look at it and go, wow, I really love the use of color in this movie. It's not over the top, but there's a lot of blues, greens, and reds, like the primary colors, and it's just so well done. And it's something we, you and I have talked about on Effectively Speaking. In fact, that is mm-hmm. the first War of the Worlds discussion we truly had on Neo's as. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's not, I'm not trying to compare the two. There's really no comparison between the 53 and the 2005, but I do love the 1953 War of the Worlds movie. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm reserving comment right, until okay. further on in my top five. Okay, <laughs> I was kind of okay. worried that, like I said, I thought we'd have some things that might might duplicate. I mean, you haven't revealed yet, but okay, I see. So we'll just go on to your number four then. All right. Well, yeah, it is duplicating, but not at four. Uh, my number four is Jeff Wayne's War of the yeah. Worlds. Uh, that's okay. yeah that i will say that's an that we're not going to duplicate but it's in my honorable mention that's one of those ones that kept getting added and taken off and added because i kept thinking of other things it's i have a few here that just can that, oh, it's like ah, oh, why didn't we do a top seven list it'd be so much easier <laughs> yeah yeah i hear what you're saying no i mean this i mean when it came out i i, I was obsessed by it okay um and I bought it on cassette. It was a, 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 a double cassette, I remember. And I wore it out. It, it reached the point where, you know, the tape, I think, did snap because I just played it endlessly, you know, up in my bedroom, in my car when I eventually learned to drive, you know, um, and, uh, and and became word perfect on it. Not only word perfect on the, on the dialogue that's in it, but the music, you know, um, you can drop me into that album anywhere and I know just where the music's music's going to go. It was my second ever CD when CDs first came (laughs) out. This was my second ever CD. Um, And the thing is, I've, I've listened to this album far more than I've read the book. So when I go back and reread the book, which is about once a year, it's always very strange to me that there's bits in the book that aren't in the album because I know the musical version more than I know the actual print version. <laughs> I got you. you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's whole chunks of it that are not on the album. That's always very strange. And the other memory I have of this album um, – apart from it being part of my life for a good 10 years um, until I met my wife. And that's my next memory is my wife um, 
when we first started going out, she couldn't abide it. She hated it. She hated me really? putting it on. Oh wow! Yeah, she could. She couldn't stand it. Okay, she said it was like American soft rock. Okay, <laughs> I think well, it. Uh, I no, think it, I don't think it's that. So I, I give a little more. There's a little more edge to it than that. I think it was the guitars in it. Okay. You know, the guitar solos all the way through it. You know, that's what she had the problem with. with with it but i always felt that was a bit rich because she liked super tramp you know <laughs> so, so yeah. she would she, she would say oh it's like american soft rock and it's like but you like super tramp right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm, I'm very glad to say you know that she has mellowed over the years and a year or two back she she actually had a confession to me and it's like i do like jeff wayne's world, ah, world okay so it's, it's taken 20 years <laughs> but we finally got there okay nice this i i got introduced to this late um uh, i didn't hear i didn't get what is it uh, oh i have it in my notes where did i lose it the net the new generation the new generation was the very first in fact i think i saw the the blu-ray the uh, liam neeson performance or the hologram right. liam neeson's Neeson performance so it's it's kind of the resurgence of it where I had um had been introduced to this and loved it and I have since then heard the other and, and th- there's not that big of a difference between the two as much as I was led to believe I mean it, there's certainly an update to it but uh I got introduced to this late but I I really like it too like every time anyone says there's a million to one shot it's impossible not to have that song pop into my head or part of that yeah, song absolutely yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. What's your number three then, Matt? Number three. Okay. This is, uh, how do I even want to preface this? I guess I could just, it's, well, I will say it's the only comic book on my list. It combines two things that I love, and it's probably the best crossover comic ever published. And I don't have the year it was published. It's not all that old. It's within the past 10 years. It's Superman War of the Worlds. It's part of DC's Elsewhere series, and uh, my first note, I already blew it. I said I think this is the best crossover ever written, and it's it takes the comic book origin Superman, which was also introduced in 1938, kind of takes the 19th, a hint or a, a cue from the 1938 broadcast, but it's still, it's still I, I think it leans more towards the original uh, More of the Worlds beats but puts it in 1938 combines the two and it's the beginning or it's the introduction, the reveal and the end of Superman all in one comic. And it is a fantastic story because it's as much of a Superman story as it is war of the worlds. I love this comic. I, I have it by my, my bed stand just because it, I end up picking it up and reading it every like so often that I, I don't have it there for, you know, just for convenience. It just ends up there because many times I'll pick it up, walk around the house, page through it. Sometimes I know it so well, I'll just page through it, set it back down, go to bed. I love this story. It is terrific. I, I, I've got it. And, you know, cause it's war of the worlds. And so I'll, I'll buy anything to do with war of the worlds, but yeah, no. And, and it's one of those ideas. It's like, well, why has nobody ever thought of this before? Yeah, right, you know, yep. because, Superman arrives pretty much about the same time as the Awesome Wells thing. And it's like, nobody has thought about doing this before. <laughs> no, 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 no. It is terrific. Yeah. it's We did a, um, the very first War of the Worlds week uh, two, three years ago, two years ago. 
Um, we featured this, and I feature. I brought on the guys from Back to the Bins at the Two True Freaks Network because that is, that is a comic. Fo- it is a Golden Age comic focused podcast. Now, while this wasn't Golden Age, it's it's Modern Age. It's just written so well that you can talk about it as an old Golden Age comic. And we like. I had to edit so much out of that for time. We could not stop talking about this from the graphics to the story to everything about this comic. We just mm. loved it. Yeah, anybody who is a War of the Worlds fan and you've not read this, you really should seek it out. Definitely, definitely. All right, you're number three, Eric. Number three is related to my number four. It's the Jeff Wayne concert. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, um, the Jeff Wayne concert, Yeah, it it was a long time coming, but eventually it came out. Jeff Wayne went on the road with a full orchestra, not only an orchestra, but the whole, you know, the, the guitar section, the drum section, whatever, you know. I, I actually saw it twice. Okay, um, the second time I saw it was um, when it went out on its second tour. It goes out quite a bit now. You were just saying there about the Liam Neeson um, version. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Wayne goes out on tour with it um, quite a bit now. I only saw it twice. I saw it in, uh, the first time it went out and the second time it went out. Um, I haven't seen it since. Um, but the second time it went out, I've got two memories. Um, the first one, which is the lesser one, was the second time he went out on tour, um, and I saw it down in Brighton, okay? Mm-hmm. And I went down there, and it was really good, really fantastic, but my abiding memory of it was we were quite near the front. We were only like three three rows from the front, and everybody was coming in, oh, wow. and it was going to be a full house. Yeah, and I turned around, you know, to just see how f- fully it um, the auditorium was and sitting directly behind me was ingrid pitt <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah of all people sat directly behind me was ingrid pitt and it's like my god that's ingrid pitt and i turned around to my friend who was with her and it's like ingrid pitt is sitting behind me right. <laughs> and he turned around he's like bloody hell it is ingrid pitt you know the icon of you know hammer films and you know horror films from the you know 60s and 70s was sat di- directly behind me all right that's- so <laughs> that's my lesser memory right. of the jeff wayne, jeff wayne concert okay? wow okay. the first time i saw it uh, and this tops it you think how can you top being sat in front of Ingrid Pitt. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Right. The first time I ever saw it, it was the first night of the first tour. There had been a press show like two nights before. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, but this was the first night. We had opening night and it was down in a place called Bournemouth, down on the south coast. Okay. Um, and me and the, that same friend, we drove down. The excitement levels were rising all the way down there. You know, it's like a two-hour drive to get down there. And we're playing War of the Worlds on on his uh, CD player all the way down there. We get down there. We go in the uh, theatre. There's all, an almost palpable, you, you know, sense of anticipation in the air because nobody knew what this was going to be like okay right and you get you get into the auditorium you sit there you can see all all the orchestra's instruments are all laid out and everything out and everything up in the rafters is the full-size martian tripod yeah i would love to see that which is going to come down okay when Uh the martian's tripod eventually arrives it comes down but you can see it it's up there in the gods already okay and off to the left is a huge like 20 foot high polystyrene head which 
for the first couple of tours, what they did was they had a, a carved polystyrene head, okay, and onto it they projected an image of Richard Burton, mm-hmm. okay? Right. And if you, if you buy it, I, I'm assuming it's still out there, but um, if you buy the DVD of the first one, you can see on the extras how they filmed an actor um, um, recording Richard Burton's lines, and what they did was they superimposed his lips onto this image of Richard Burton, okay? So Mm -hmm. this giant head actually talks as the narrator. So we're sat there, okay? We can see this polystyrene head. There's nothing projected on it at the moment, okay? There's a big cinema screen at the back behind the orchestra. There's this tripod up in the uh, rafters already, okay? So we sit down. All the musicians come in and they start, you know, sitting down and um, and tuning up and everything. And it's like, you know, the excitement gets a bit higher, a bit higher, a bit higher. It's just about to start. Jeff Wayne himself comes in. OK, everybody applauds mm-hmm. because he's going to conduct the orchestra live. OK, this is all happening live. OK. Um, and it starts. Now, if you watch the DVD, um, they actually filmed a CGI prologue okay to the album which is set on mars where the martians are actually discussing their attack on earth yes yes yeah have you seen it i have yeah 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 i'm not a fan of it i don't like it because again what we were just talking about on effectively speaking about you know star trek's doomsday machine these are aliens and the more you explain about them the less it right impact it has okay i don't like the idea of hearing martians talking okay so this i was always under the impression this was shown before the concert started so this is a dvd edition or a blu-ray edition no 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 no. this is happening in the theater this is how it actually starts okay Okay, when the lights go down okay the lights go down all right you're in complete darkness you've just got lights at the front okay you can see sort of see the orchestra and jeff wayne and up on this big cinema screen behind is this image is this footage of the martians okay. on mars I see. discussing okay I, th- I think on the blu-ray i've seen they they just fill the tv screen with the the footage if i remember correctly that's why i was right. wondering if it was a addition okay i got you now okay i'm picturing it yeah, better yeah, yep so i'm sat there you know and i'm thinking uh-oh this is a new bit and i i don't like this i don't like this okay but it's soon over okay it all goes quiet okay richard burton's face suddenly appears on this polystyrene head you know and the whole nobody would have believed in the last days of the 19th century You, you know how it starts okay and it's like here we go here we go okay and um and I'm thinking, oh, blimey. And I looked at my friend, and he's got this smile on his face, okay? <laughs> and the moment, and this is why, you know, it's my number three, um, is when we reach the point where Richard Burton's head says, slowly and surely they drew their plans against us. And Jeff Wayne's arm goes up in the air with his bat on, okay? Yes. And you could almost hear an intake of breath as all these thousands <laughs> of people all go, <gasps> because we hadn't seen this. All there had been was just the press screening the day before, two days before. Nobody knew a review. Nobody knew what this was going to be like. And everybody goes <gasps> like this. And he brings his arm down and it's the whole dun, dun, dun. Yep. And it's like, wow. That's, <laughs> and then we're off. That's and it incredible. was, I can't, I can't sit in here in front of my computer. I can't express the emotion after, you know, all these years from 78 right up until that happened of 
seeing this happening live, being created live with the creator right in front of you was just the most amazing thing. <laughs> it really, really was. Well, your storytelling of this has me, I currently have the Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds website tour dates page in front of me and i see two performances at the o2 in london on saturday the 15th of december and on another screen i have flights and expedia wondering how on earth i can convince my wife to fly out there for four or five days to take this in matt come over i'll take you <laughs> all right good. i don't need to don't even need to buy that second plane ticket all right there you go. Yeah. There you go. You won't be alone. I promise you won't be alone. <laughs> right. So, yeah, this is fantastic. This is why it is my number three moment. But I have a 3.1. Okay. okay <laughs> which is something I alluded to way back when we talked about War of the Worlds on Effectively Speaking, which is when I was almost taken to court. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I kind of remember yeah, you teasing the, the story. Yeah. What that was, was to get to Bournemouth, where this thing happened, you drive past Woking, okay? And my friend who I went with had never been to Woking. He's a big War of the Worlds fan. I said, look, on the way, why don't we go early and we'll go to Horsell Common, all right? And I can take you to where the sand pits, you know, everything I've just been talking about. So we went along there and we're walking around, having a good time. And he said to me, why don't you gather up a bit of the sand, you know, the actual <laughs> sand from the sand pit where the Martians landed, you see. And it's like, that's a good idea. So I, I scooped up a couple of handfuls, put it in my, you know, bag. And he said, and this is his fault, he said, why don't you, you know, um, you you could sell it, you know. Oh, you no. could sell, right? So we go off to the concert, everything I've just been talking about, the concert, okay, and I buy my I buy my program i don't buy a t-shirt because i thought i don't need to buy a t-shirt i haven't got enough money right now but i can sell this sand right so we come home had a fantastic time a couple of uh, weeks later i've still got a jar of it when you next come when you come over in december Matt, okay. i'll give you some sand from <laughs> nice. Common, right? but i had an awful lot and i thought I could sell a bit. So I, I put it on eBay, genuine, you know, War of the Worlds, you know, horse all common sand. And within a couple of days, I got a notification from the council of Woking saying, you're not supposed to take anything away from um, one of our properties. Oh. Return it immediately or we you will face prosecution. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that kind of like curtailed that idea. So yeah, right. there you go. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. I've basically I've I've got an awful lot of sand, Matt. So if you want some genuine <laughs> War of the World sand, when you come over in December, you can have a, a an awful lot. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh man, that's oof. That's 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 a good story, but I'm sure it was not funny at the time you were reading that. No, it wasn't. I, I, I can laugh about it now. But, yes, exactly. Yeah, back then, it's like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, right, they go, oh, it's council property. You're not allowed to remove anything for it from it. So I think, well, actually, if you go in onto a park and you've got your dog and your dog walks away with a stick. Uh, yeah. You're taking something away from well, council property. Technically, aren't you? walking through the sand is there's no way you're not going to be 
technically taking part of the property away. There's going to be at least a grain of sand stuck in your shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay. All right. All right. On to number two for you then, Matt. Okay. Number two. I mean, it is the one that started it all. This is the one I knew about before I really knew what the book was because I was introduced to this particular one in elementary school. I believe it was sixth grade. And it was because it was in a reading book or one of our, uh, maybe the uh, better, uh, I don't know what class you would call it. I think it was called, it was a reading book uh, where you read poems, short stories, and other formats. And this this was in the script formatting section to introduce us at a young age to what a script format is. And it was the first half of the 1938 Mercury Theater on the Air War of the Worlds, the Orson Welles one. The teacher had talked about the supposed hysteria, the legend behind all this. And that got me way more interested than the actual education she was trying to give us about the script formatting. <laughs> and ever I would ask, I, I remember going home and asking my parents about it. My father told me a little bit what he remembered. I remember my, my grandparents on my mother's side telling me about it. I never got to hear it till way, way, way later in life. Um, I think it's when like, when like, the American America online uh, stage of the internet and somewhere in one of those groups led to like a Usenet group that led to something else where I could finally download a copy of this. I listened to it at night in the dark 60 ish years later, 50 years later scared the hell out of me. And I'm just about nearing grown adult age and ever since, well, the introduction was in sixth grade, but it's it ramped up on this first listening. And I always loved audio theater. I loved old-time radio. I loved modern audio theater. When the Star Wars NPR radio dramas were done, I listened to those every week, taped them, listened to them a billion times over. This one, though, stands out to me so much, and it it, 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 it there's so much behind it that has inspired me. It's one of my favorite stories, the H.G. Wells stories, of course. It's one of my favorite performances. And this alone, this really is what made me ever want to try to write a radio drama. It's something I've been, I went back and forth on for years. I, I, I am constantly writing. I don't necessarily always produce them, except for our Star Wars and character Christmas stories. If I had not listened to this or n even known about this, those would have never happened. Be it's because of this broadcast that i even had an interest develop in audio drama storytelling and then actually managed to do one and do several of them in that particular form and if it wasn't for this none of that would have ever happened it's an incredibly inspirational piece in so many ways story performance and idea wow <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying there is you know is is so I, I I can totally, you, you, you know, agree with because my number one is exactly what you're saying about your number two. Okay, definitely, gotcha. <laughs> definitely, 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 yeah. All right, um, my number two, um, you alluded to it earlier, um, George Powell's 1953 War of the Worlds. I'm being very specific on this, though. Okay. Okay. And it's the heat ray from the film. Okay. All right. Yes. Now, we've already talked about this on Effectively Speaking, and we said there how, how much sound design, you know, <laughs> made such a difference um, yeah. in films. And it, it's especially true here, you know. 
you to begin with you've got the bizarre cobra neck haven't you yes um of the heat bray but it's that rattlesnake rattlesnake sound you know as it's turning around and looking and the firing of it you know the noise of the firing of it i mean it it gave me goosebumps then it give me gives me goosebumps now i think it's in an incredible um merger of visual effects and sound effects and made a huge huge impact on me and just like you're saying with your number two this you know i don't think if 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 i hadn't seen george powell's war of the worlds so young i don't think i would have maybe gone on the path i did i think this is ground zero for me this is the moment where i go i love this I love science fiction. I love 50s science fiction. I don't think I would have the affection for everything that's followed since if it wasn't for this. And I can I can trace it back to George Powell's War of the Worlds. I can trace it back to that moment where those you've got those three guys waving the sackcloth, you know, saying welcome to California and getting fried right. by the heat ray. <laughs> everything goes back to this one pivotal moment and that's why it's my number two yeah that's i i (laughs) I know where you're coming from i just kind of had the same uh yeah uh explanation myself that when you said um the heat ray the first thing the the words that popped into my head was probably one of the greatest sound effects ever Mm. that the 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 wind up of the the uh little sound you use at at the opening of um effectively speaking during your intro Mm. to the firing of it Someone actually, to really no surprise, someone actually had redubbed the first tripod attack from the 2015 War of the Worlds. They adjusted it for sound quality, put a little little more reverb on it because of the distance and the height of the thing, and I think lowered it down just a pitch. It looked really cool. They used that for the firing sound and kind of had that that rattlesnake sound in the background as well because it's it's a perfect sound for that moment. I'd love to see that. That would be really cool to see that. Will, that really would. Yeah, I'll make sure that's posted along with this. It was on YouTube, um, and I'm sure it's still there. That's I don't think it was long enough to upset um, Universal Studios too much for copyright violation, but who knows? I yeah, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, you know, if you're if as I said earlier, you know, the BBC are doing a version now. That rattlesnake sound. You know, the firing sound, they are fantastic. They, if, if you put that into a film or a TV version now, people won't go, oh, that's naff. Oh, that's, you know, dated or anything. It's still impactful now, and it's creepy now. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's such a buildup. I mean, the, the visual, I bet if you turned down the sound and just saw this kind of funny cobra head sneaking out, it would. it's not going to be near as impactful, assuming you haven't seen this before. It's not going to be near as impactful without that ominous sound behind it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, right, here we are. We're at number one, yep. Matt. This was tough to do because it's like, oh, the book should be on there or this adaptation should be on there. But then I thought about what is the one thing I've experienced most? And it's this one. It's another audio version. I have listened to this more times than I've listened to anything. And I just found it within the past five years. And ironically, it was released two months before I was born, actually like a month and a half before I was born. So we're about the same age. It's the 1971 WKBW War of the Worlds version. They had originally done WKBW as an AM station in Buffalo, New York. They had done a version of this on the 30th anniversary in 1968. They retooled it a little bit in 1971. 
And it is the one I listen to most because it's just it's so well done. It's the closest audio version we have to a modern day setting. It's it's done over radio. It's people on site record uh, reporting. In, in this case, over kind of walkie talkies. Rather now would be cell phones. People would be FaceTiming. Everything is going on. Mm. It's just so well done without completely redoing everything. And I and just for the fact that I listen to it literally all the time. There's not been. It's an. It's barely an hour long. There's not a brew day when I'm making beer that I don't listen to this because there are two points in a brew day that are an hour long and I'll either put it on one or the other because it's just a great way to pass the time. (laughs) And because I found this a few years ago, I have always, always toyed with doing War of the Worlds ever since I was a volunteer at our college radio station when I was like 19, 20 years old. I've always wanted to do War of the Worlds. I never did it. I've bounced between, uh, do I want to do a parody? Do I want to do a you know a word-for-word recreation? Do I want to do a modern update of it? Do I want to do a vlog? You know, How do I want to do this? I heard this and went, this is what I want to do. These guys are radio DJs, and they decided to do it from their perspective. I want to do it from a perspective of a podcaster. This is all going on while two guys are trying to record a show, and that's how I approached it. It was the fire I needed lit and the, that missing piece that I needed is like, well, what did I know? What do I know best as far as this media goes? I know how to podcast. Now, let's answer the question, what if this happened while I was podcasting? And that is the route I'm going with the story I'm trying to write for our War of the World. So that, by its influence and by the sheer volume of hours I put into listening to this, that's what makes <laughs> 1971 WKBW War of the Worlds my number one on my best of five list for War of the Worlds. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Well, my number one is Audible as well. Okay. It's funny that. Yes. Um, by a long stretch, you know, the thing that had the biggest impact on me uh, was my first exposure to War of the Worlds. And you know what I'm just about to say. <laughs> it's the LP of the story that I got when I was about, well, I don't know, seven or eight. Okay. It's one of those... Um, audio versions on record okay there are uh, out about then okay it's an audio adaptation of the novel okay um i'm looking at it right now this is the sound of it (laughs) here it is okay this is this shows you how much i treasure this this is the oldest thing that i still own from my childhood oh wow okay (laughs) that i haven't gone back and you know re-bought on ebay or whatever i this is it i've had this since i was about seven or eight years old it's an lp it's called war of the worlds it's uh by the bell adventure series a bell adventure five and this dates it it's called high camp adventure okay <laughs> all right and i'm just turning it over here um it says other titles available Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea uh the invisible man the first man in the moon journey to the center of the earth around the world in 80 days. So, you know, they were really focusing on HG Wells and Jules Verne there. Okay. And yes, it's an LP, um, of the war of the worlds. I got it. As I say, I think it must've been Christmas, something like that. I was seven or eight. Um, and this is the reason I, I I've just said about George Powell's version. I don't know when I saw that maybe the middle of the seventies, this was about 10 years before. And this it's one of those things when you're very small, you watch something and 
you're part frightened by it, mm -hmm. but you're part fascinated by it. Okay. And it was the case with this thing here. Okay. And as an old adult, looking back on it and listening on it, it's, it's very peculiar. Okay. It's set in the correct, correct uh, time period. It's around about 1896. So that's okay. Um, it's got the cylinder, it's got the tripods and it's got the heat ray. Okay. But it differs because Ogilvy, you know, the astronomer Ogilvy from the book, um, he survives and he follows the narrator around in the story who's no longer a narrator as he's not really narrating. Um, and um, we have the artilleryman who follows them around an awful lot as well. And a child tags along. I don't know why. Maybe that's, <laughs> you know, to get, give a bit of, you know, uh, the, the children listening to it, you know, someone to identify with, you know. And it's very, very vague as to where it's set, okay? Um, Woking is named on this. Horsell Common is named as well. But there's ton, tons and tons and tons of Americanisms in it, all right? Everyone is clearly American in it, okay? London is never named. It's called the capital. I've got to get to the capital, okay? Nobody calls London the capital. Ah, and okay. also, yeah, also in it, they talk about the capital building. There is no such thing in England as the capital building, right, okay? Right, okay. Yeah, but it didn't matter. This thing made such an indelible imprint on me. You know, I listened to it over and over and over. And I sent you a CD of it, didn't yep. I? You I know. have it right in front of me, actually. Um, and it's it's uh, the, what you described on the front. It almost looks like it should be the cover of like a read-along comic. Hmm. I think that's what it is. I mean, that's what they were doing, but they were doing read-along novels. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very weird, yeah. But the thing that I always remember when I when I look at that cover, you know, is is the sound effects because it's an audible thing. It was what you were just saying there about, um, you know, listening to things and it just made such an impact on you. You know, the clanging of the cylinder top as it falls off. Mm -hmm. You know, the heat ray especially. It, they've obviously gone down to a factory and you know and <laughs> and, and recorded something or other. You know, yeah. um, and the ambient noise of the Martians. You know, it it it. it, it it creeped me the heck out when I was little. And, you know, it's still pretty spooky to listen to now, you know. And that artwork, the artwork that you're talking about there, you know, that used to mesmerize me. I used to look, I remember looking at that and I studied it for hours, especially that creepy Martian peering over the hood of the tripod there, you know. Pretty accurate Martian, actually, compared yeah. to, you know, what an awful lot of people do. And, you know, I just loved it dearly. And, and as I say, it's the oldest thing that I, I still possess from my childhood. And my other memory of this is, I don't know, it might, must have been a Christmas or something. I took this to school, okay, mm -hmm. for a, like a show and tell. And I don't remember much about my childhood, especially back when I was that young. But I remember the whole class listening to this. And at the end, just everyone being very silent and the teacher saying, well, thank you, Eric. That was interesting. Oh. <laughs> because Jeez. everyone was kind of like freaked out about it. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, this thing, this is my number one. I mean, I owe it an awful lot. Oh, bless it. I'm giving it a pat right now. Um, <laughs> this, and bless my mother, 
you know, if she hadn't bought me this, I don't know where my hobbies and interests would have gone. I, I can totally there's nothing before I was about that age that was science fiction or fantasy. This was, as I say, ground zero. Everything has sprung from there. And I owe this this rather beaten up, faded play to heck, you know, record an awful lot of uh, gratitude. Yeah, it's it's great. And um, there's a uh, a second record I've heard by Kid Stuff Record, maybe Peter Pan, but like it, it is. I was familiar with it when you sent me this. I saw the cover and saw it was a record. I was like, oh, I think I know what this is. But my memory of that was like it is so children oriented and bad acting and no sound effects. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's. Uh, I'll just double check and make sure we're not. You know, talking about the same thing before I respond to it, I listen to it, I go, whoa, this is not the record I knew. <laughs> the performances, I mean, I want to say, uh, the the phrase that seems natural to say is, the performances for an LP are, are outstanding, but, I mean, the performances are outstanding. It, it doesn't matter that it's LP. They're very mm. good, and I remember, it's been a while, uh, you said this, I think, like two years ago, it's been a while, but I don't think that it's, it. You the location isn't necessarily pinpointed because of the the terms that you pointed out but i don't think a timeline is pointed out either i think this just is it's happening now it's like a it's it's it doesn't matter it's it's not in uh obviously the late 1800s and it's not necessarily in the 1960s or 70s it's just it's this is happening now type storytelling yeah you're right i mean the guy they're in a horse-drawn carriage and there's artillery well that could take you right up until the 50s or the 60s yeah right yeah (laughs) yeah sure no, that's very good. I but, yeah. But what you were saying there, Matt, I mean, you know, it's very difficult to pin it down to five. Mm-hmm. We could easily have a top ten. We could have a top twenty. You know, we could go into a specific details of things, couldn't we? Yeah. I mean, I have. Did you write down an honorable mention list or a working list? Because I certainly have one. No, I stuck to the five. So let's hear yours. Okay, I'll run down them real quick. Um, the Great Martian War, nineteen thirteen to nineteen seventeen. This is a phenomenal alternate reality history channel documentary um with uh, a war starting in it's basically a retelling of world war one but against martians instead of uh, uh was world no world war one germans no yes. they weren't oh they were yeah, okay yeah, okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, was germans yeah. okay uh, i'm not yeah. my history as any teacher can tell you is my worst subject period so another reason <laughs> to come back to england, come <laughs> no, back to england right, yeah. i'll teach you history <laughs> Nice. There you go. But this was they took archive footage from World War One and I think possibly World War Two and put these great tripods and I think there was like three things all together, like these giant tripods, these smaller like scout tripods, and then these kind of field scavenging uh Martian vehicles. Have you ever seen this? Yes, I have. Oh yeah, 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 yeah okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's it's uh yeah, it's that's a good word for it. It's fun. Uh we talked about Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, Scarlet Traces, and the Dark Horse War of the Worlds comic adaptation. Had I not thought of Superman War of the Worlds, I probably would have put the Dark Horse War of the Worlds adaptation on here. Because mm-hmm. that's that, and I wouldn't have known of either if you hadn't told me about Scarlet Traces. And then I ended up getting the trade paperback, which starts with the, um, they added the War of the Worlds in there, which I think was actually done after Scarlet Traces from when the history I was reading. No, no, no. Oh, it, it? That came first. Oh, it did? Yeah, okay. it, it, it was a web comic. The War oh, of the Worlds okay. adaptation, you, you could only see it online. But yeah, when Scarlet Traces came back in a trade paperback, they they 
put that on as well. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay, okay. I knew there was something about it that was different from Scarlet Traces. That makes sense. Mm. Um, another comic I just recently read, and it's 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 not a top five contender. Was on my short list. It's Evil Dead Two: Revenge of the Martians. Are you a Ash and Evil Dead fan at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know about this. It, this there's a there's a Ash or Evil Dead Two. It's it's the licensing on Evil Dead must be really weird because they this one is particularly called Evil Dead Two versus. And there's a whole line. There's the Marsh uh, versus the Martians, and then the subtitles Revenge of the Martians, and then there's like versus Dracula versus Hitler, which is hilarious. <laughs> versus Krampus. Now, why Evil Dead Two is it must be a licensing thing because it's just Ash. It's not necessarily taking place in that timeline. Sure. But in this story, the uh, Necronomicon is brought to a secret government facility, the same facility that the Martian bodies and tripods are being stored in, and everything's brought back to life. And Ash has to save everybody because he happens to be there. That's the, about the weakest story thread, but I don't care. And it's it's good, campy Ash, Evil Dead fun. And oddly enough, the Martian has the biggest punchline in this, and it's a visual. It's fun. It's not a top five contender, but it's fun. If you can find it or even grab a digital copy for ninety nine cents, it's worth a ninety nine cent read. Cool. I've got to seek that out. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, <laughs> uh, the the book ba- Panic Broadcast by Howard Koch. That's the written version of the Night That Panicked America. Basically, that's where anything that I've learned about how they made this came from that book. Um, right. And let's see what else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I put this on there for a second. I, I'm going to leave it in my notes because you're going to roll your eyes when I say this. Then this is, it's not on my top five, but I actually put for a moment War of the Worlds TV series from the 80s, specifically. Oh, yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Specifically, season one, episode six, The Second Seal, because they actually combined the 1938 broadcast and the 1953 movie. They don't do it well, but. Kudos to them for trying, and that's why I was like, you know what, this does not deserve to be on any list, so that's why it didn't make it. All right. Okay. <laughs> what a, no, 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 I'm not saying anything. No. I want this to be a positive podcast. Yeah, I yes. know, it's not a good series. I feel like yeah. it's. I feel like this. That that's watching that ser- forcing myself to watch that series with someone else would be a a good podcast fodder but do i want to put myself through that because it would not be a positive experience but i think with the right personality it'd be fun to talk about but oh boy is that a oh is that a challenge <laughs> well if anything's a whoa yeah that's not an endorsement really whoa, is it i have thought of one endorsement uh, uh, one um honorable mention that i don't know if you're aware of it matt um we haven't really talked about it but there is a um a, a novel out a, a compilation called war of the world's global dispatches i literally have just started that ah oh you've got that then yeah all right yep. okay. I, so i haven't read the whole thing yet i just read the um the uh quote hg wells introduction unquote and did the um theodore roosevelt story i mean i'm going to go through it page by page so yeah i've been looking forward to that that's one of those things that i've had jeez i've had it for quite a while um i just never got a chance to pick it up and 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 now with the projects i'm trying to do i was like let me let me read this is a bunch of short stories maybe you know a missing piece or two will be unlocked reading these stories so i'm looking forward to getting through that all right. Um, yeah, it, it's variable. 
Can I just say that? Um, I'd imagine you know, it would be with like 20 stories or however many there are. It's tw- yeah, yeah they're, they're 20 short stories and they're written as if, you know, it, it's um, how various people from history, you know, view the War of the Worlds. So, you know, you've got H.B. Lovecraft's, you know, view of it, you know, Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs' version of it, as you say, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, Albert Einstein, what, it, what he made of the Martians coming down. It, it's interesting. Put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I've got one more. Sure. Okay. Been th- well, while you've been talking about it, I've been I've been thinking. There's something called magnetic storm. Oh, I don't okay. know that one. Magnetic storm. Um, it's a it's an art book put out by Paper Tiger in the seventies, and um, and there are two artists, they're brothers called Martin and Roger Dean. Okay. Okay. And um, fantastic artists. They they did like album covers for Yes. All right. And uh, and all sort of stuff like that, but they did a um, an album called Magnetic Storm, and they did artwork for a proposed um, version of War of the Worlds. Oh, okay. okay. Anyone can Google this and have a look, and you can see their versions. Their their versions. I mean, when you see the crash cylinder, that looks fantastic. You know, their paintings of the crash cylinder looks fantastic. You know, you there's a brilliant one of it in broad daylight and then there's another one of it at twilight um looks fantastic but their martian tripods are very organic um they've got the three legs because it's a tripod but their heads are almost like bird-like they're almost beak-like and they're very like you were saying um on effectively speaking you know biomechanical but they're not accurate in the slightest to the novel, but they are terrific pieces of art. So, uh, yeah, I urge people to trace, uh, track them out. Cool. Yeah, I, I did not know that. I just made a note of it on here. You know yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, let's, okay, let's, I'm, I want to tell a story, but let's get, let's recap our top fives real quick. I'll, I'll go right. through them first. My number five, the 1975 TV movie, The Night That Panicked America. Uh, number four, 1953, George Powell's War of the Worlds. Number three, Superman, War of the Worlds, the comic, of course. Number two, the 1938 Mercury Theater on the Air broadcast of the War of the Worlds. And number one, the 1971 WKBW Buffalo, New York broadcast of War of the Worlds. All right. Mine is number five, Visiting Horsall Common. Number four, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Number three, Watching Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Uh, number two, the Heat Ray from 1953's George Powell version, and number one, that Bell audio version of nice. War of the Worlds. Okay, very cool. Okay, so to preface this story, and for anyone that doesn't know, actually, by the time you're hearing this, you probably know whether or not or where we're at on this. I have wanted to do a War of the Worlds for years, like I mentioned earlier in this recording, and. The writing, of course, being arguably the hardest part. Recording is going to be another thing. Now, the story I want to tell is there's some, and I, I said it earlier, I had dri- I, I had driven the path of one scene to get the idea of how it could fold out in an audio medium. There's a scene, it's specifically of when the cylinder is found in our version. It's like, I have the picture in my head, but I need something to look at as I'm writing this so it makes sense. So it's not coming off like someone reading a passage in a book, and I go online looking for crash cylinder pictures, and I find one. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't the cylinder I want, but it's in the exact position I want. So I grab the picture, and I start looking, and it's from a blog. I think it's from a blog spot site. You'll actually be able to answer this. 
Because as I'm paging through this blog, I see more pictures I notice, more pictures I notice, then a video, and I look at the video, and it's a, from an English bloke talking about his War of the Worlds model, and damned if it is in Eric Moore's voice. <laughs> so somehow, yep. in, the, in the depths of Google, I stumbled upon your blo- old Blogspot site. I, I, yes, I don't, yes, I admit I do have an old blog site. Yes. And, um, yes, I have many blog things <laughs> in the past and yeah, I have recorded out there on the internet. Uh, yeah. Many, uh, war of the worlds things. That was funny. That's funny that you should find it. That that's leading me to, you have a couple of other war of the world site dedicated, uh, things on the internet, social media pages and whatnot. What all do you share war of the worlds on the internet? For anyone that wants to follow it, see, I, I'm I'm sure you're the same as me, Matt. Be, by the fact that you know you set something up, but then things advance and new things come along. So I started off with blogs, and I have blog sites, you know, both for my you know my modeling affairs, um, War of the Worlds, you know, comics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then Facebook comes along, doesn't it? Right. And YouTube comes along, and so there were you know very uh, different styles of doing things and at the moment facebook is like you know uh seems to be the number one and it's the one where i i prefer facebook because it's easy to upload stuff it's easy to check stuff you don't have to sign in or blah 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 blah. but uh yes no i i I have got a um uh, a war of the worlds dedicated blog site I've got a uh, modeling blog site where I had a lot of my War of the Worlds on. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, which I can't access. It's flaming annoying. Oh, really? Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> I've got a YouTube channel, okay, Mystery Models uh, YouTube channel, and I can't remember the password for it. Oh, no. And it's <laughs> flaming frustrating because apparently I've got, you know, so many thousands of followers and viewers and – I'd like to monetize that, but I cannot get into it, you know, so that's frustrating. Um, and I've also got a Facebook set up for uh, my models. I've got a Facebook set up for War of the Worlds. So if you type in War of the Worlds on Facebook, you should find me. Um, there's also War of the Worlds as a blog. Um, although, as I say, at the moment, um facebook is the number one so i tend not to really put much now on my blog site mm-hmm. but yeah if you saw the crater thing on a blog site was that my war of the worlds one this one oh i just had it in front of me uh, i saw why I, I, I went through the whole thing i've seen it but i think the one that i grabbed it was kind of it's more of an egg shaped yeah that's yours right J- yeah, that's okay. fine. Do you gotcha. know what that is? No. That is the funniest thing. If, if, if you pull up that photo, I was so pleased with that. What that is, is every Easter, when Easter comes around, okay. you get these <laughs> Easter egg uh, plastic uh, shapes, okay? And you can unscrew it and you can put um, presents in, you know, and chocolates and stuff right, like that. Yep. So Easter is really good for buying cheap plastic shapes. And what that thing you're looking at is, is one of these, I don't know, it's about, you know, 10 inches long Easter egg. And I cut it off at a diagonal and I made a little scene for it because the top unscrews. And, you know, of course, in War of the Worlds, the cylinder unscrews. Right. So I painted it all up, painted it, looked like aluminium and um, weathered it made a little um, uh, crater around the edges out of air-drying clay, went to the railway hobby shop 
for um, some little figures, put them all in there, um, you know, set dressed it, if you like. And um, and that photo, if you can find it, all I did was I put it on our dining table when we've got some French windows. I opened the windows, put the table up so it's almost into the garden, put the camera down low. So the background beyond the cylinder is a tree at the bottom of our garden you see and that's all that was wow okay i I, didn't didn't even have to go outside for that i didn't realize the crater and the people were well i didn't realize this whole thing was a miniature i thought this was photoshop so but now 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 that you've explained it piece by piece i see it but i would never have noticed that and especially and i think it has a lot to do with the background of the 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 tree and the it, yeah. and the not gray sky but like that gray blue sky a color that is hard to match you know in photoshop that's crazy i didn't realize the rest of it it's was miniature too yeah it's it's what we keep talking about on effectively speaking if you go outside and use natural light yes, right, and yep. a natural sky you know half your work is done for you you know so yeah that's all i did i didn't even go outside i just pushed the table up to the you know the open doors right and then got the camera way down low i mean those figures that you see in that photo they're not even they're not even half an inch tall yeah you know, right, they're right. railway they're, they're double o scale figures um yeah, I'm, I'm pleased you found that. That's funny. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'd use it as a, when I'm trying to describe uh, the character standing, get, getting close enough to see it, this is what he's looking at. Because I, I can envision it in my head, but for some reason, when I'm trying to write stuff out, I actually need to be looking at something with my eyes. I, I don't know where, how, you know, I certainly am no brain scientist or surgeon or either or. And so I don't know how that works, but I, I the visual with my eyes is easier for me to write from than the image in my head. And that's the one I've been using. That's not only did I steal it from your website, but I stole it your intellectual property too. So hope you don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, this is the modern world, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you create you create something, you put it online, and you don't know where it's going to go. But that's fine because you know, if if you never put it online, nobody's ever going to see it. True. So, right. Yeah. What the hay? Yeah. What the hay? You know. It's just yeah. it's just of, of all of the odds of it being yours is, was just story worthy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, that's all I got for this episode. Obviously, you and I could talk about War of the Worlds at a drop of a hat about any subject, but we'll save that for some other episodes. Can I propose, Matt, can I propose that when you come over in December, we do a live recording of our walks and next October, we put that up on Neo's. That would, yep, yep, that's uh, we'll just, well, we can't consider it done because we don't have the recordings, but as close to done as we can until we actually do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank right. you, Eric. Always a lot of fun just hanging out with you. But to have our second in-depth War of the Worlds conversation, I had an absolute blast. So thank you for joining me today. No problem. But as you say, this isn't in-depth. We could go down further <laughs> and further true, and further. Right? This yeah. isn't deep. We've only skimmed the surface, you yeah, know, to yeah. be continued. All right. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Well, for all the listeners as well, this has been part of our War of the Worlds week. Check out NeoZaz.com for that. And also check out our social media pages. We're NeoZaz Podcast on Facebook, NeoZaz on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, I think that does it for this episode. So let me thank you one more time, Eric, for joining me. No problem. Pleasure as always. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.